0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome to the RotoWire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And today's guest is Arm Layton of Just Baseball. And this is uh, my first time chatting with Arm, so I'm really excited to have him on he's been uh, a great Twitter follow if, if you're if you're on Twitter you're looking for prospect content definitely recommend following arm Layton uh arm how you doing uh thanks so much for joining me
2: I'm doing great man thanks for having me on it's uh likewise enjoy following your stuff and I'm, I'm glad we're able to uh link up here and talk some prospects
1: yeah and it's uh it's a it's a perfect uh time to have you on you just Released a, a really, really uh, in-depth uh, top 100 uh, prospect rankings on uh, justbaseball.com. Uh, but first, I just want to kind of get um, some background. Um, you know, sort of how 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 long have you kind of been following uh, minor leaguers? How long have you been really kind of interested in the evaluation side of of minor league baseball?
2: Yeah, it, it's a great question, and I it honestly started with. When I was playing in high school, uh, funny enough, where uh, I played in South Florida and, you know, I was the scrappy switch hitting utility guy that was just happy to be on a a, on a team that had some really good players. And um, a couple of the guys on my team were going through the draft process, Griffin Conine being one. And then another friend of mine, Zach Cohn, um, who ended up playing in the Pirates organization. Griffin still with the Marlins. And then uh, one other teammate, our catcher, uh, Mike Rothenberg, played at Duke and now is in the Tigers org. And so I'm watching all these guys go through the process, seeing the scouts come, like reading then reports on them versus what I see day in and day out, some of the things that were right, some of the things that were wrong, watching these guys with video, uh, talking to my teammates about what they're going through. And I was just so captivated by it. I'm like, how do they know everything about my friends that, you know, that I'm with every day to be able to invest millions into them? And uh, that whole process was really fascinating to me. Then fast forward. You know, once my playing days were done, and and I wanted to stay in baseball, um, I wanted to cover it. So uh, I went to Syracuse, did the whole journalism thing, and um, originally wanted to do play-by-play. So went out to the Cape Cod League. That was my first play-by-play gig, and then I was way more captivated by the whole Cape Cod League prospect process than actually calling games. I loved calling games for the Cattuuit Kettleers. It was a special, special opportunity, and I think it's given me a lot of the the mic skills that i'm I'm able to somewhat have today. Uh, but again, I was really lucky. The Gatua Ketaliers were loaded that year, and we continue to see big leaguers coming up from that team. Nick Gonzalez being one, his whole draft process. Matt Mervis was at first. Joey Loprefito, who just got brought up to AAA, was on that team. Um, There's 10 guys that were drafted really high, and I think there'll be, oh, Casey Schmidt on that team. I could go on and on. So then I fell in love with the process from there, started covering prospects, launched a prospect podcast, and then the rest was history. Um, And that was right around like 2018, 2019.
1: That's really cool. Uh, I I also I've got like kind of a not the same type of route, but also went and got a journalism degree, and then uh, got the the prospect itch, and uh, I was more writing um, versus uh, you know announcer on the journalism track. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a fun it's a fun landing spot. It's it's a great uh, it's a great area to be covering. Uh, so yeah, you you just released uh, a set of. And of course, I do. I do my stuff um, for fantasy for for dynasty leagues. Uh, yours is is a is a real life, you know, top one hundred. Uh, and I really recommend everyone go go check it out. Uh, you clearly spent a lot of time uh, writing up these these players, and definitely put a, a lot of work and a lot of a lot of thought into it. So definitely recommend people checking that out. But um, I just kind of wanted to get your kind of a. 10,000 foot view like what what do you think of kind of the state of the minor leagues right now uh you know to me it's there's a I kind of have a a clear kind of like top six or so guys that I that I think are are the cream of the crop for for dynasty yeah and then I just think it really opens up um and a lot of a lot of personal preference can kind of come in there um but what what do you think like what how how much talent is there like Relative to sort of where we were before the the start of the season in the minor leagues, and just sort of how difficult was it to kind of place these players in your top 100?
2: Yeah, you know this was a weird one um, in in a lot of different ways. I agree, it's it's extremely top heavy. Um, I think in comparison to previous top 100 lists that we, that we put together, and even you know the preseason top 100 list that we put together, a lot of guys graduated this year. Um, you know, I think it was a really loaded class kind of going in. But this was somewhat weak uh, relative to other top 100 lists that I've put together. And I know talking to some others in the industry, they kind of felt the same way. Um, I just think we're kind of in this in-between phase where a lot of players got pushed through. I think it's still some of the effects of 2020 where it delayed some timelines. And then you had guys that you know were probably prospects for too long. And then you had guys that kind of got fast-tracked. And a bunch graduated really quickly. So I think it's a little bit of a, a lighter top 100 uh at least on the back end and then the other side is the pitching i mean we did a whole episode on the call up our prospect podcast about you know what is the state of the pitching prospect and is it kind of going extinct um and and there's some layers to that i think you know if you're a really good pitching prospect you get fast tracked uh because they don't want to waste bullets in the minors and then if you are a guy that's stalling out at a specific level then you're probably not going to be as highly regarded as a prospect. So it's this weird catch 22 situation where it's definitely the least pitching prospects I've ever ranked uh, in a top 100. And, um, you know, I think that's, it might not always be this extreme, but I do think that's kind of the trend we're heading into. There's not going to be that many Grayson Rodriguez's who have success for a good deal of, of innings at like each level chronologically. Like it's just not going to happen that way.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I had the fewest pitching prospects in my top 100. I think I've ever had on my last mm-hmm. update. Uh, it just it kind of feels to me like it's sort of um, we're just in the sort of discovery phase with uh, so many players, and it's there's definitely an edge if if you can kind of pinpoint which guys mm-hmm. you know people view as sort of consensus like top 100 top 120 guys but if you can kind of figure out which of those guys should be closer to kind of consensus top 40 top 30 Mm -hmm. guys like i think that there's it's it's just kind of wide open right now there's just so many differing uh you know opinions preferences you know like i could i could probably make a case for someone that you have like in the seventies to be in the thirties and you could do the same to me. And like, I don't even know if we would disagree about the player specifically. It's just kind of like, where do you want to slot that player? Absolutely. And, and that's the, that's the fluidity of
2: the pitching situation right now. And also just how quick guys can jump. I think mean, we saw you know, Jared Jones has been a guy that's been around for a little bit in the Pirates system, but you know, all of a sudden the fastball ticks up a little bit, the command's good, the slider's good. And you know, boom they bump him up to triple a and he looks like he could be one of the more interesting arms um, on the flip side it can go the other direction kyle harrison you know consensus top i would say top 20 prospect in baseball top 30 prospect, uh, definitely a top five arm no matter who you ask and for me that was the biggest faller on our list because uh, we can get into the specifics but a lot of stuff backed up as well as the command somehow even further and it just shows the fluidity of pitching prospects. So if you can, you know, maybe identify that guy that even a lot of people still think is a top 100 guy before he, you know, really makes that next leap. While people are still focused on the Kyle Harrisons of the world, not to say he won't pan out, but um, definitely not a guy I'm, you know, jumping out of my chair to go buy stock in from a fantasy lens. Uh, there's definitely a lot of room to, you know, capitalize on just kind of the the mystery. Around the pitching prospects right
1: now uh, in the minor leagues. do you think it's gonna I, I kind of think just even over these next the next like month um, as the minor league season wraps up, like we might even get a bit more clarity just from four weeks worth of action of you know we'll head into we'll head into the off season and everyone's gonna have a ton of time to, to kind of get in their bunkers and put together their their really well thought out lists when no one's playing. Mm-hmm. And then I do think there will be kind of a consensus that sort of emerges, you know, in December, January. Um, but I, I just think a lot of it is is kind of yet to be written, and there's just so many. Like I have a ton of pitching prospects, uh, kind of in the like one ten to one sixty mm-hmm. range or so, and I know that five or six of those guys are gonna like I'm gonna get to a point in the off season where I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's clearly got to be you know top top 80 or something like that but it's just it's tough to kind of say uh which which players are gonna really break out there yeah
2: i think it's an interesting point because you know, there's certain players that i think are right on the edge i, I say like a drew thorpe right yeah. drew thorpe dominated through high a but fastball changeup guys with really advanced changeups up so that throw strikes sometimes those guys just pick apart high a and then hit a wall and double yeah. a Thorpe's first start in double a was eight shutout. So that's a great start against a pretty good Binghamton lineup, but that's just an example. Like over the next month in in, in change that guy puts together a few double a starts that are, you know, it doesn't have to be eight shutty, but you know, some quality starts all of a sudden he really thrusts himself into that conversation. But you know, a college arm with really good high a numbers, you're just kind of on that edge. So I do agree. There's guys like that, that over the next month, you know, they get challenged, they get pushed to another level and and they do really well you know that can also push them across and then the other side of it is you know you finally get the chance like you mentioned when the season's done to to go look back and you can really dive into what these guys did their pitch mix their stuff um you know maybe why they didn't do as well as we thought why why they did really well is it sustainable and um that's always fun that always helps get me through the off season for sure <laughs> um and then before we know what we got the arizona fall league which of course is more for hitters but uh, still a good time.
1: Yeah, uh, AFL will definitely impact uh, how people are valuing some players. Like anyone who goes to the AFL and performs well this year, um, maybe even more so than in past years, I think we'll get a bit of a bump because uh-huh. um, everyone's just going to be so laser-focused on it. Uh, so before we kind of get into I I, I love the, the players we're going to talk about here because I, I tried to pick guys that um, – I don't, I haven't discussed much on this pod and, and who you uh, were pretty bullish on. Cause I just kind of want to get the listeners sort of like a, a take um, that might be different than my own. Um, but I do just want to get your, um, like a temperature check for you on Jackson holiday. <laughs> uh, I am putting together a set of dynasty rankings, um, where, you know, I'm ranking prospects and big leaguers and, I'm going to end up ranking holiday, you know, kind of borderline top 10 uh, in all of baseball wow. um, because I, I just kind of, I don't see a single area of weakness that you could point to with him. Like he's, he's passed his pro or his first full season in pro ball. Like it's, it's like an a plus it's, it's, yeah. it's the, the greatest grade you could possibly give a guy in terms of just how well he's been, uh, this season, uh, do you do you think he's kind of ascending into sort of, you know, kind of one of the better prospects that we've seen in the past, like 10 to, to 15 years, like in terms of just number one overall prospects? he He's up there for sure, I you know, because I think the craziest
2: part about it is the fact that he's been able to perform this way. As a 19-year-old, you know, in that first real full pro season is one thing. The other side of it is, look at his face. Like, yeah, he yeah. is a child. Um, physically, though, not to take away, like, he's he's a, he's a strong kid. He's a, he's a strong kid. But he is far from done maturing physically. You look at the exit velocities, there's a lot more in there. Like, he's not putting up nearly the exit velocities that I think he will put up in a year from now, two years from now. Like, his swing even, there's times where he can pull off a little bit, but his hands are so good that he can shoot the ball in the hole wherever he wants and he's got enough bat speed. But, like, that's the craziest part is he's not a finished product. There's there's so much more, I think, to be unlocked there from swing mechanics standpoint, physically, those two things together. You know, I think that will push that power from, you know, it's playing at average right now to, to well above average to borderline plus. So I think the balance of the floor – with still more upside, definitely makes him one of the best prospects in a while. I think we've had prospects with you know more upside, uh, even though that sounds crazy to say. Um, but I think he's up there uh, when you consider just how safe he is, how good he is, and still some projection there. Um, it's 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 really special stuff.
1: Yeah, he's uh, very, very exciting. Um, okay, we're going to head to a quick break. When we come back, uh, Arm and I are going to get into kind of the, the meat of the, the top 100 and, and talk about some players that uh, you know maybe we, we differ on in terms of where we have them ranked. But uh, a lot of these guys also have kind of broken out even further uh, since my last set of rankings. So it'll be good to kind of uh, see where Arm has them slotted in his top 100. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all that heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The home run forecast index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from one to 10, one being the most unfavorable for a good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There's a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit, games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game, so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game, as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can access get access to the HRF premium site for only $5 a month to see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. All right, Arm. Uh, we are back, and uh, I did just want to get a quick, you know, obviously that some of the some of the guys that you might have higher or might have lower than me. Uh, there's there's kind of a uh, maybe a defensive component that I'm not uh, mm-hmm. as worried about, just since I'm doing it yeah. for fantasy. Um, but I did just want to I wanted to kind of compare and contrast a couple middle infielders. Uh Adale Amador with the, the Rockies, uh, who you have ranked uh 10th, and then um Brian Rocchio of the Guardians, uh, who's uh, more kind of in the, the middle of the rankings. Um I guess I'm I'm curious, like what where do you sort of see uh, Amador's uh edge over Rocchio? I, I know because I read I read your scouting reports yeah. on both of them, but uh just for the listeners, kind of like maybe break down Amador's game and uh, kind of what makes you so excited about, about him uh, from a real life standpoint?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great question because there are some similarities to, to the way that they play. Of course, Roquillo a little bit more defensively based and and a, a really solid glove, but Amador, I'll just start with what makes him so impressive to me. I think for my money, he's the best bat to ball guy in the entire minor leagues. You look at contact rates, his zone, <clears throat> excuse me, his zone contact is well over ninety percent uh, from the left side specifically as a switch hitter. It's closer to like ninety-five percent, which you know that puts him in the conversation with Luis Arias. Uh, of course, it's different to do it in the lower levels in the minor leagues, but if, if for big league comparison, puts you with like Quan Arias, you know, uh, and, and guys like that. The difference is Amador hits the ball harder already than those guys. So you know, while he may not run a ninety-five percent zone contact rate at you know the higher levels, he might. And, you know, I, I love the swing. I think he's got some of the best feel to hit I've seen. You know, since I've been covering prospects, the fact that he's already producing above average exit velocities with this unbelievable feel to hit is really what stands out to me. Is he ever going to be a twenty five home run threat? Probably not. But you also have to consider and he's he's going to go to places where he's got a lot of space to work with, and when he eventually gets to cores, I mean. You can imagine how easy it's going to be for him to find the gaps in that outfield. But again, I I think it's really the combination of this elite field to hit for a guy that just turned 20. That's a switch hitter with a pretty good approach as well. Like that, that was the thing that set, set him apart for me. Also, usually guys that are this good back to ball wise, like to swing a lot. How can you blame them? They hit everything. He's running a chase rate below 20%. So that was a big thing for me too. I'm like, this guy makes more contact than anybody. He has one of the lowest chase rates you're going to find. And the exit velocities are, are a hair above average, and he's just 20. Uh, t- to me, like, he's he's as safe of an offensive piece as you can find. And he's got, you know, I think all the all the upside you, you could want from a guy that's elite bat to ball-wise and, and should, hit I think, hit plenty of doubles. Rokio, I think from a fan- fantasy perspective, a lot of his value does come from the glove. So, you know, I do think for, he, he could be a little bit diminished there. I just wonder how much is there, you know, this is a guy that's a full tick below in the exit velocity department. He, he The contact rates are solid, but he's a little bit aggressive offensively, um, a little bit too many ground balls. I, I just, I think he's very capped, um, but I think he's a very solid prospect. It's a high floor, relatively low ceiling. I think every day, solid glove that you can move around the infield or play a really good shortstop, But, you know, I, I think people were hoping there'd be more power there. And I think it's kind of clear that that's just not going to come. Um, and it's going to be, you know, a lot more pressure on the hit tool and, and you know, the glove.
1: Do you think uh, Amador is, is it kind of, um, could it kind of resemble like what peak De- DJ LeMahieu did when he was with the Rockies? Um, like hitting over 300 for like three consecutive years, OBP like around 375 and then, you know, chipping in some with the homers and steals, but really it's kind of like the batting average, or do you see more uh, home run juice there? Um, no,
2: I, I think, I think exactly what you said. And if you look at the data, like back from when DJ he was there, uh, it's, it's very similar. DJ, a little bit higher exit velocities, but again, like you got a little bit more time for Amador to fill out and get stronger. He's already, Starting to hit the ball a little bit harder, and the thing that really put Amador over the top for me, too, that I should mention I think there's a few different things is what he's been able to flash. I mean, this guy's already hit balls 111 miles an hour this year, so you wonder, like, okay, how much more is in there if he can consistently tap into that? I do think ultimately it's going to be the bat to ball, really high on base, but when you're capable of popping 111s like this, you know. There's some impact to dream on there too. I think the LeMay Hugh offensive production is a is a very good comp.
1: What do you think is so I, I obviously Rokio has hit just three home runs this year, so that's awful um from a, a power standpoint, but uh he hit 18 homers in 2022. Um has he regressed? Do you, do you think he's trying to do something different. Cause I mean, he, he's been uh, more patient this year than, than he had been in the past. And I, I, I almost feel better about his hit tool um, yeah. than I ever have. But like, I felt like the, the power was sort of on a, a, a solid trajectory when you go back like two, three years and then it's just, it's kind of all dried up. Uh, what, how, how do you think that that uh, played out?
2: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of, <clears throat> of some of the environments he's playing in, and I think a little bit of, of also just the, the pitching that he's facing because I think now in AAA, you know, it's just so much harder to leverage your hitter's counts and say, okay, I'm going to look for a fastball in, a, in this spot and get a fastball. You know, a lot of the guys that I talk to that are in AAA, these are like one of the biggest adjustments for them has been you, know, you don't get – the pitch that you think you're going to get in your advantage counts, right? There's no such thing as a fastball count really anymore. Um, these guys are so good. A lot of them are you know back and forth from the big leagues. A lot of them are, you know, very established in the minor leagues and, and comfortable with their stuff. And, you know, even if the stuff isn't nearly as good uh, as some of the nasty arms you see at the lower levels, they're never going to be predictable compared to what you had in the, in the past. And Roquillo's always been a guy that's smarter than his competition. That's the guardians identify those guys. And he's one of them. Um, And I think he just leveraged his hitters counts really well. I think also there were some more hitter-friendly environments there. Um, And I think it was kind of a combination of those two things. I think also it was Rokio kind of leaning into what's going to get him to the big leagues. It's it's not going to be whether he hits 8 or 15 home runs. It's going to be whether he hits around 300 and gets on base. And the interesting part is he's actually hitting the ball harder this year from an average exit velocity standpoint. Um, So I I think it really was – but zero in on line drives in the gaps and, and just try to be, you know, the player that ultimately I'm most likely to be at the big league level. Um, but it is tough when you see that downturn in home runs, when you know there was at one point a time where people were hoping there'd be, you know, kind of this, this Aussie Albies maybe type of Ascension where the power just starts
1: to really come along later. Yeah. Yeah. That, that definitely makes uh, sense. And um yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see how much power Amador gets to eventually. Like I, that's, you know, the the hard hit data is, is encouraging. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, the double A and triple A still waiting for him. Uh, so Owen Casey is a, is a guy that I've, I've kind of been betting against the hit tool with him for a while. And, uh, He's just been on an absolute tear over the past, uh, like two and a half months or so. Um, and you know, the power's obviously always been a, a big part of his game and kind of the, the carrying tool there. Um, you have Casey, I believe, like in your top 40 or so. Yeah. Um, so what, what's like, uh, I mean, obviously, I read your your write up, but like hit tool wise, you know, are we talking like Kyle Schwarber as the ceiling here? Like, what? Where do you sort of see the the, the batting average at with with Casey, and how confident are you that he uh, gets on base enough to be a, an everyday player?
2: Oh Follow up: which which version of Schwarber are we are we talking about <laughs> in the average <laughs> department?
1: Um. Let's just say like two 225. Okay. Like two twenty five. That's he's like a career two. two twenty five hitter.
2: Yeah, he's career two twenty. Okay, that 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 helps. Um, I, I would say, I think there's a, a little bit more bat to ball than that. I really do. I, you know, what's interesting is, you know, a lot of and I always looked at it specifically with with the Cubs system because when we had Casey ahead of, we've always had Owen Casey ahead of Kevin Alcantara, and you know. Cubs fans would always be surprised by that. And, and that'd be one of the more popular questions I'd get. And it's like, well, look at the numbers and, and this and that. They're very similar. And I'm like, Casey's doing it at a level above. And that's the crazy part is these are both tall, long, powerful guys. Obviously, very different profiles. That contract can maybe stick in center. He's an athlete. But I'm just talking about from a pure offensive perspective, which at the end of the day is going to be what takes these guys where they need to be. It's amazing how Casey is able to remain consistently productive as a six foot four, long left handed hitter who's still kind of learning to to contain his his limbs and repeat his moves in the box. Um, for me, I, I saw a guy that in the beginning of the year was was adjusting to double A, which is one thing in itself as in your age twenty season, and then also adjusting to those taxed baseballs because he, you look at the strikeout rates pretty much since. They took those balls out of circulation, uh, start to just trickle down, 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 down. And then you look at it like the last 30 games or so, still somewhat high strikeout rate at around like 26, 27%. But walking much more to offset that. The power output's been absurd. So even if at the big league level it's somewhere around Kyle Schwarber, I I think the power is so ridiculous. The approach is already really good that I, I feel really confident that he can get into 30 home run power pretty consistently. And at 21 years old, he's got a lot of time. Like next year will be, still be his age 21 season. He's got a lot more time to figure it out and he's probably going to start in AAA. And I think he's a guy that actually will benefit a bit from AAA. Like, yes, there will be some challenges with the more advanced arms, but tighter strike zone. You know, he's not a guy that expands much he crushes all types of offerings. It's really just sometimes that fastball gets by him. Sometimes he gets deep into counts and you know, that one swing and miss kind of hurts him. It's, it's kind of learning his approach to strengths and weaknesses, but his exit velocities are as good as anybody in the minor leagues. Um, I love to look at 90th percentile exit velocity. His is 110, which, you know, that puts him in, in, a, in a very elite company. His average exit velocity, if you compared it to major leaguers would put him at 14th tied with Rafael Devers, Um, and again, he's got more room to fill out and more strength. So I I think the power potential is just special here, even if the hit tool is close to Kyle Schwarber, but I I still have hope that he can get that a little bit further along.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point about the Southern league. Um, obviously that gets referenced all the time with Jackson Churio, but, uh, yeah, worth, worth pointing out that, uh, more than just Churio kind of flipped a switch after they took those balls out of play. And I definitely, I think there was definitely some uh, kind of confirmation bias for me uh, early in the year um, just because I was just like, oh yeah, of course he's striking out too much. Like he's just, he's never going to make enough contact to get to the power um, even though he was super young and at double A and then he, he's been uh, just much better in that department than uh, I would have predicted coming into the year uh lately so uh casey's a guy that i'll have to move up a decent amount on my next update um one guy that i i definitely still prefer over casey personally uh who you had uh probably about like 30 spots lower is everson Pereira of the yankees um is it uh is i I think you had like a, a a grade difference in terms of their their power uh, long term is it is it just kind of come down to that in terms of why you prefer Casey over Pereira? I, it's a little bit of of <laughs> just my confidence in Casey's
2: ability to hit enough to get into that power. Um, you know, Pereira's got special power as well, and we talk about ninetieth percentile exit velocity. His is one hundred and nine miles per hour. So I mean that's a, just a tick down from Casey, and for a guy that's six foot you know, buck 75, that's absolutely absurd. I, I like Pereira a lot. And I think that's a guy that, you know, if, 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 if so, that's someone, <clears throat> if that's someone you want to like stamp and push up like lists. And I, I support that. Cause I think he's a very sp- a special talent, but when I look at Owen Casey, I see, you know, and I love that you bring these guys up. Cause I think they're very similar. I, I see ability to hit breaking balls. I see a, a decent approach and, and I just see a little bit less whiff. um, when you look at Pereira, he is, you know, kind of struggled against some of the secondary stuff this year. Um, Six forty OPS against non-fastballs. Um, he does hit sliders a little bit better because those are harder, and the end zone whiff is a little bit worse. And that—that's a little bit of my concern too. Like, I just think he's going to swing and miss a lot. Um, the approach getting better helps, uh, but I, I do have some concerns about just whether he's going to make enough contact. His swing rate somewhat high, um, and, and I just I do just wonder if there's going to be enough consistency there. Uh, we could see Owen Casey kind of run into some similar issues when he gets to AAA as well, um, and he's probably going to reach AAA a little bit earlier and have some opportunity there. But I think Pereira could go nuclear if he can even if he can even att- attain a fringy hit tool. Uh, I think he'll be a really special player. Uh, but eighteen percent swinging strike rate's really high. And um, I'm a little concerned that he just might never quite get there and doesn't walk enough to offset, you know, the swing and miss concerns. That's usually a big thing I'm looking at, too, is, you know, are you going to walk enough to offset it? Because usually the walk rate's going to go down at the big league level and the strikeout rate's going to go up. Uh, and it's got to be, you know, in a palatable range.
1: Yeah, uh, 10, 10.3 percent walk rate at double A this year, 5.7 percent since getting to triple A. So the, the walks have almost been halved for Pereira um he's just he's a guy who just you know the, the strikeouts are are the thing right like yep but when he makes contact it's uh you know he, he's just so productive he's like the type of guy that if he if he's, he could strike out 28 percent of the time but still hit for a pretty decent batting average just because when he does make contact it's just he's nuking it he's he's hitting it uh to the gaps or over the fence so yeah. There's, um, there's like some Christopher
2: Morel similarities there. Right. And it's like, you know, when he's going right, he might be the hottest hitter on the planet. And then when he's going wrong, like you just got to buckle up. If you're in fantasy, maybe just put him on the bench for a little bit. And then when he's hot, he could probably win you a week. I, I it, it's probably going to be one of those types of guys, but again, those guys are valuable. Um, and, and I do think that he's going to find a way to, to be productive. Cause like you said, I mean, this guy runs into baseballs as much as anybody does. Like he hits some hard and in the air, which is great. Only a 38% ground ball rate. Like that's what you want to see from a guy like him.
1: He's a good athlete for this type of player, but where do you sort of see the speed for Pereira long-term? Is that kind of a aspect of his game? That's going to kind of dry up a little bit as he gets into his mid twenties. Do you think? I think he's always going
2: to be an above average runner. Like I, I think he's a pretty twitchy guy. Um, I, you know, I honestly think that the stolen bases can can get a little bit better for him as he gets more acclimated to the upper levels, and the Yankees like they have a pretty good philosophy on that. And I think Volpe is a great example, and uh, th- there's guys that just do a good job of swiping bags. I think he can get that more involved in his game, and I hope he does. Uh, it just gives him another layer. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't think he'll slow down too much. You know, the the, the frame is I, I don't think going to fill out much more, and and he's pretty twitchy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I really like his frame. Uh so we'll we'll see. We'll see what the strikeouts with him. And I and I would say with Pereira, uh like it's it's rare that the Yankees give a young player like a prominent role and a bit of rope. Um, like they obviously did that with Volpe this year, but um I could definitely see Pereira and Casey too. Um when they get to the big leagues for the first time, the numbers could be pretty ugly. And so I, you know, I would just caution people like that. That's kind of to be expected. I would think yeah. like if Pereira comes up and strikes out 40% of the time in his first hundred plate appearances against big league pitching, I'd kind of expect that from him. And then it's just kind of how he adjusts from there. hundred um, percent. So Noah Schultz, uh, Schultz is probably uh, with the white socks, uh, big, big, tall uh, pitcher with a great slider. Um, He's probably the guy I underrated uh, the most on my last update. He just kind of, he barely pitched at that point. And I just kind of wanted to see more, um, just especially given that he's like six foot nine. Uh, But you have him ranked as a a top 10 pitching prospect. um, So why don't you kind of let the listeners know what makes Schultz so exciting?
2: Yeah, you know, that was a guy that, I wasn't ready to, to rank super high going into this year either. Right. We had to see what we needed to see. And uh, we've seen it (laughs) for a six, nine lefty uh, to, to be around the strike zone. The way he is, is one thing you mentioned the breaking ball and how nasty that is, but also around the zone with that 64% strike rate on the fastball, which sits 94, 95 miles an hour. And then that, that breaking ball is just devastating. And he's landing that first strike 62% of the time. To be a 6'9 lefty, that usually those guys, I always compare them to like baby drafts. When you're a tall high school lefty, like just trying to, to control your limbs, like it's so awkward. He doesn't have that. Uh, he's, he's very advanced for this kind of profile. And then you look at the release point, you look at the perceived velocity for these hitters. I mean, it's got to be getting on them so quick. Uh, so you combine the, the command, the stuff, the size, the projectability the performance now as well. And I'd like to see him stretched out a little bit more, but of course they've got their plan and they're going to be very, very careful with him as they should be. Um, but just on sheer upside there, you know, if you're, if you're liking the the Jacob Mizrowski's of the world, which I know people love, of course, he's got even crazier stuff, uh, but even, you know, much larger command issues, like we're kind of in a position here where, like you mentioned, it's, it's it's mostly about upside with pitching prospects. Most of the guys with the track record, they're already in the big leagues. They got forced up there. Um, this is a guy that I think has the potential to be one of the best pitching prospects in the game um, very soon as he starts to you know just kind of get stretched out a little bit more. And they're slowly stretching him out. And we finally saw him you know, eclipse 60 through 68 pitches against Charleston, which was four shutout uh, with eight Ks like we're we're seeing him get a little bit more, you know, stretched out and I think that'll really kind of help put him over the top if he performs through four or five inning outings.
1: Yeah, Schultz is a good example of kind of what we were talking about at the beginning with just uh things haven't really kind of crystallized in that range yet, but he is the type of guy where a month from now it could just be consensus this is a top 10 pitching prospect because it is wide open. Like Yes. You know, so Um, very interesting. Um, so Robbie Snelling is, uh, is a guy that you, uh, you're definitely a believer in and I like him a lot too. I kind of have him sort of clumped with a bunch of other, um, teenage pitchers I like from that class, like, uh, Brandon Barriera, Lesko, Caden Dana, uh, Ferris, Murphy. Um, and I do think Snelling is, is the safest of that group. Uh, is is it kind of the and I don't even like using the word safe with yeah. like a nineteen year old pitching prospect, but um, is that kind of the separator um, for Snelling compared to the yeah. other guys from that class? Yeah,
2: yeah, you know, safe safety is a relative word, and in in an area where there's no no safety, almost it's it's something that I I covet, you know, when I'm looking at pitching prospects, and you know, there there's a few things that that kind of baked in this. I mean, Robbie Snelling is. One of the most athletic pitchers in the minor leagues, this guy had it was a four star linebacker recruit with offers from just about every single power five school like Alabama, Ohio, State, like all of them. Um, he's a special athlete and his ability to already repeat his delivery, repeat his mechanics and his feel for a, a breaking ball that you know he manipulates. Sometimes it's got more depth. Sometimes it's a little bit harder. I'm like, man, this guy looks like he's been pitching forever, but he hasn't He's been a two sport athlete that, you know, is now finally focusing on baseball six, three big dude. That's I think still kind of learning to, to work towards home plate a little bit more effect- effectively and efficiently. Like, I think there's more velocity in there, which is pretty impressive because where he's at right now with the three pitch mix, th- this is projectable as is right. 93 mile an hour fastball, you know, low eighties curve ball, slash, slash breaking ball. And then, you know, a mid to high 80s change up. I think he could tick up to the mid 90s as he continues to, you know, use his body a bit better and, and, and clean, clean up that delivery. And then you factor in the athleticism, the way he's able to already repeat his delivery, his feel for a breaking ball, the development of that change up. I think there's just so much to like here, because even if he doesn't see that that uptick, the fallback just seems like, OK, this is a really solid pitchability lefty with three first strike who's athletic. And I also think it's very likely that he sees an uptick as a 19-year-old with with all of the athletic ability that he has. So I, I, the way I looked at it was like, relatively speaking, for a pitching prospect, you got that higher floor, higher ceiling, um, and, and that's why I'm such a big Snelling fan.
1: Do you think, just kind of given uh, Padres, AJ Preller's track record, that uh, like 2024 could be in play for him? Because, uh, I mean, like we were sort of talking about, Guys, sort of of this ilk that came into the year with any experience at all in the upper levels, have all pretty much reached the big leagues if they stayed healthy. Uh, no
2: doubt, man. I, I, I absolutely think it's a possibility. We talk about wasting bullets, quote unquote, in you know, in the minor leagues for guys that you know might not need to. There is no reason, unless Robbie Snelling hits a wall this year, there's no reason for him to, uh, repeat high a next year. It's also interesting how much they're stretching him out as a high school arm. I thought that's, you know, obviously they have a very different organizational philosophy here um, than some of the other organizations with their high school pitching prospects. But that kind of tells me that they're, they're ready to, to fast track him because one of the biggest things that holds back that big league fast track is being stretched out. Well, Snelling just threw 98 pitches uh, yesterday in Dayton where he went six innings, two runs, seven punch outs uh held his velocity the entire start actually it was i believe by the numbers his highest average velocity of the year so this guy's getting stronger as well which is crazy um i absolutely think they can fast track him if he starts a year in double next year we see so many pitching prospects especially from the texas league just make the jump straight from double because why do you want to set him to the pcl anyways um i i, I think this could be a guy that surprises a lot of people we saw them do it with ryan weathers and you can say, oh, well, that didn't go that well. That was more of a Ryan Weathers issue. Um, uh, I think Snelling's different, and I think they could do something very similar.
1: Oh, man. Ryan Weathers. I, ugh, that one hurts. Um, I, <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I was a sucker for Weathers back in the day. I, I um, mean, who wasn't?
2: I, the Padres <laughs> were a sucker for Weathers. It, it looks it great.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So how about uh, Luis Lara? Uh just got promoted to high A's, an eighteen-year-old. So, just that in itself is is very impressive. Obviously, uh, extremely uh, advanced zone awareness for for a player his age. Um, what type of power and uh, you know speed on the bases do you project for for Lara? I mean, obviously, just still so young. Um, really tough to say exactly where he's going to be like six, seven years from now, but how do you sort of seeing um, his development progressing from here?
2: Yeah. You know, this is a guy that I just, I feel so good about his chances of being a quality big leaguer. Um, and, and that's a big reason why he's on this, this list. The one question, and I think is that the one that you just asked is, you know, how much impact is there? And, and I think that's one that, you know, it's, partly a wait and see thing, uh, but for what I've just been able to you know gather, I feel like there's there's a little bit more impact maybe than he gets credit for. Um, I think that there's a chance that it's always going to be gap to gap, but I think there's a chance that you know he can give you plenty of doubles and you know surprise you with a couple homers a year. Uh, the exit velocities aren't very high. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. But he's flashed, he's flashed at least the ability to, to pop average exit velocities. And again, this is an 18-year-old. He's got a, l- a little bit more room to add some muscle. But the number one thing for me is I think he's going to turn into a, a pretty solid base dealer as he continues to develop. Uh, he might not be the most elite runner, but he's well above average fringe plus runner. Um, and, and the big selling point here is, as you said, I mean, one of the most advanced hitters I think that you're going to find under the age of 20, and he's actually 18, getting up to high A contact rates are as close to a, a lead as you're going to and They, they are elite. I would say as close to the top of the minor leagues as you're going to get for his age. And again, a, you mentioned the zone awareness. I mean, does not expand the zone whatsoever. He's going to walk as much as he strikes out. Uh, so he's going to get on base and put bat on ball. The question is how much power is he going to hit for, but I think he can at least compensate with gap to gap juice um, and, and, and solid speed. But man, if he could even tap into, Fringe average power. I think he could be one of the more interesting prospects in the game soon enough.
1: What What do you think about the defense with him?
2: I love it. That was one of my favorite parts of the dive. I, th- this dude is. You, you, if you talk to any scouts, they love the way he plays the game. They love his makeup. The Brewers love him. Um, and and the reads that he gets out in center field. He's he's a ranger out there. Like he just looks comfortable. Um, there was some catches that I was watching where. It just seems like right off the bat, he already knows where that ball is going to be. And, you know, the, the instincts out there, that's, that's really hard to teach. I think he can turn into a, a comfortably above average center fielder, maybe even a plus center fielder. Um, I, I wasn't comfortable putting that grade yet because I want to see a little bit more, you know, at, at a higher level with the ball coming off the bat a little bit different. But so far, I've seen a really, really comfortable outfielder who I think can be you know a, a really, really good defender.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's, that is pretty exciting. He reminds me, statistically reminds me a little bit of Dale Amador. Um, um, so yeah, that makes sense that you would be, be high on both of them. Um, how would you, so I, you know, you have them to me that range, like once you kind of get into the like forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, like I don't see a gap really. I think it just kind of comes down to personal preference, um, you do have Sebastian Walcott, uh, more kind of in the nineties. Uh, I think the, I think comparing Lara to Walcott is, is interesting oh. because they're about as different as you could possibly be. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, are you sort of, it's just the confidence level with a guy like Lara that puts him, um, you know, 30 spots ahead of, ahead of Walcott there. Um, is there anything yeah. about Walcott where you, have you heard? Like, cause obviously, um, you know, he got pulled from that game and, and everyone was like, oh man, is he getting traded? It's like, no, it's, it's disciplinary. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so, uh, you know, not a, not a great, um, turn of events there for, for Walcott, but like, you know, what, what's your kind of read on, on Walcott? Um, yeah.
2: And, you know, he's a, he's a kid, he's 17, um, Yeah, it comes with the territory, but but again, like I'm not gonna knock him for it. But if you're gonna compare that to a Luis Lara, who you know is kind of the opposite, where they're just like this guy could could be the leader of our of our club wherever he goes. Like you know that that definitely helps. Look, Walcott. The way I like to think about it is like if you ran a, a a thousand simulations, there's far more of you know outcomes where Luis Lara is a major leaguer, but there's probably no outcomes where Luis Lara. Uh, wins an MVP I'm sure in, in one or two of those imaginary a thousand simulations Sebastian Walcott may may be in the MVP race because that's how special he is of a talent it's it, it is reminiscent of Junior Caminero at the complex like there is a lot of similarities there for me it's it does really matter uh, what you do above rookie ball and, and it's just it, I, it's more of a methodology thing for me like when I look at Walcott I see you know I mean the swing is is, is, is special. Like he, he's got special power potential. There's also a lot of chase and a lot of whiff. It's okay. Happens with 17-year-olds at the complex all the time. But the way this list kind of goes is, you know, by the logic, I wouldn't trade prospect ninety-seven for prospect ninety-six. And you know, if I'm if I'm making a trade, I, I don't know if I've seen enough, if I'm a general manager, um, to confidently take Walcott in a deal where he's valued as, you know, a top 50 prospect or top 60 prospect, just because there's so much variance here. So, I mean, if you look at the list, there's he, I don't, I would actually love to know how many complex guys we have on there. He's one of very, very, very few. And that's a testament to his ability. Um, I think he gets a lot of excitement and hype because he signed for $3.2 million and then is doing what he's doing right out of the gate. But, We've seen guys like this get to low A and you know get blown up a little bit. I don't know if that'll happen for him. The contact rates are a little bit better than I think the strikeout rate may indicate, and the fact that he's already hitting the ball, you know, 109 miles an hour, like that's pretty crazy. Um, so there's there's a lot to like there power wise. And again, I think it's very similar. I think he, I think he's popped to 112 already as well. It's similar to Junior Caminero at the complex, um, but I just I just got to see a little bit. I promise you, with some low A success whole will probably be one of the biggest
1: climbers just like you know junior common was for us this this year yeah and uh i mean the the disciplinary thing like i don't i don't know that much about it but it's just kind of um for a guy that's going to need to put the work in uh in the off season and you know next year and in the spring and everything like that um just would like to just kind of feel a bit more confident that that's gonna happen, I guess, and, um, and
2: he's a big money guy, you know, and that's that's you know what you look at. i mean there's there's a lot of stories about the big money guys and the kind of output yeah. that you get there. Um, it could have been a you know a one off thing. I haven't heard anything you know super negative, you know, in terms of the way he approaches the game. I'll definitely be you know around the complex more uh going into this year and definitely try to you know fish around and just watch and get an idea like uh, Khalil Watson was one where, you know, if you want to talk about like makeup, even before all of this stuff happened, yeah. I'm at the complex, I'm watching this guy play and and you could see, you know, that there was not a a certain level of buy-in and there, you know, was it was almost like this, you know, aversion to, to effort at times there. And um, that's something you can see on the field. I don't know if I've seen that in Walcott's games from what I've been able to gather. Um, so like, I don't think it's something that should be a major red flag for me the the, the red flag is just being far off at this point and i am a very uh i'm very risk averse to a degree if i'm going to push the chips forward i need an Owen casey you know track record a little bit in double a uh, but again i think walcott has a chance to be one of the best prospects in baseball uh but he's got a long way to go yeah i mean
1: khalil watson is uh, kind of in his own territory in terms of makeup stuff from mm-hmm. even even like when he was an amateur and stuff um so Brian Ramos uh, with the White Sox, he's he's the type of you have him in your top 100. Uh, I understand it, and of all the guys we're talking about, like he might actually be available in some shallower dynasty leagues just because he struggled at Double A last year. Uh, he was kind of out of sight, out of mind for the first couple of months this year uh, due to injury, uh, but he's just been on a on a tear uh, over the last you know six weeks or so. Uh, what what do you how do you see Ramos's game? Um, like he Is he just kind of a classic third baseman where it's just power and hit yeah. and, and he sticks at the position?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think he's definitely that mold. But I think there's a better feel to hit maybe than he gets credit for. And you'll get what he did in high A last year. I mean, ph- phenomenal numbers there. And then you know, it gets up to double A. It, I thought it was a little rushed. I know he was putting up good numbers in high A, but – yeah, that Project Birmingham situation was interesting. They did the same thing to Coulson Montgomery. They did the same thing to a couple other guys. And uh, they all kind of struggled together there. I don't know what Chris Getz was, was really thinking with that. Um, but now Ramos gets a late start to the year um, with that groin issue. And he was a guy that I was really pumped on coming into the year. And it's just made up for lost time immediately. We're talking about 50 games, 11 home runs. It's up the walk rate immensely. Strikeout rates at 22%, which is extremely palatable. The exit velocities are well above average, borderline plus. But my biggest thing that I like about him is, like, even if there's some whiff in the game, and I think there will be, you know, I think the strikeout rate will kind of hover around the low 20%. He's hedging that with the walk. The biggest thing for me is he hits the ball in the air consistently. So you get got a guy that hits the ball hard, consistently hits it in the air. It's power to all fields. And I think he's still got a lot of room to improve in terms of physically. There's more strength there. And swing-wise, you know, he's a little bit of a forward move guy. Like, I think if if he can continue to, you know, work on that lower half, hold that back hip a little bit more, he gets a little pushy with the swing. He's already succeeding right now, which says a lot. And I think there's more power in there. I think there's easy plus power to grow into. The fact that he's already putting up numbers like he is with that layoff after struggling in Double A and making up for lost time and walking more. Like, it's a really nice picture here. And it's not like he's been lucky. Look at the BABIP. It's 288. Like, And he's in the, he hits the ball hard. He should always be a high BABIP guy. Um, I think it, 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 this is something that I expect him to be one of those players that starts to get onto a lot of top 100 lists soon. So, yeah, if he's available in leagues, that's that's surprising to me. But I've, I've noticed that he's not on a lot of top 100 lists. I don't know if he's on really any others. But he's already reaching exit velocities of 111 miles an hour as a 6'3", 195-pound 21-year-old. Um, there's some big juice to dream on here that he's already tapping into in games.
1: Yeah, he's just he's just not very buzzy. Uh, I I think there's a lot of distrust uh, about the White Sox organization yeah. in general. Fair. Um, so, uh, but yeah, no, I, I I agree with you on Ramos. Um, Oslybe Spisabe is a guy that I you know I've been very intrigued by because of his hit tool since like he and Luis Angel Acuna were. Down in, in um, the lower levels yeah. uh, of the ranger system, and it's awesome that he's getting this opportunity. It's not awesome, kind of the circumstances <laughs> yeah. around why he's getting this yeah. opportunity. But uh, you got him in your top one hundred. Is this kind of just more about the the floor and the proximity and the defensive utility? Uh, do you see? like 15 homer upside from Basabe. Like what, is there anything for fantasy managers to get excited about there?
2: Yes, this is an interesting one. And this is one that I'll, I'll, you know, kind of peel back the curtain. I, I've always liked Basabe, the, the video dive in the off season that I did on, on his last year performance. Really? Like when we were doing the race system, I was like, man, this guy's, this guy's got something going for him. And then um, you see what he was able to do with, you know, so far this year, I know the numbers aren't the craziest, but on the flip side, I think he's actually been one of the more unlucky hitters. Uh, when you look at a lot of the batted ball data, uh, I really leaned on feedback that I got from so many scouts and people within the industry that I respect that were willing to put their name on this guy. <laughs> like, this is a guy that like, they they basically told me like, I would go to my boss, you know, and say, this guy's going to succeed and, and I'm not worried about it. And like, I'd be willing to, you know, put my name on the line there. Um, because it's the way he plays the game in terms of it's a hundred miles an hour at all times, but also it's above average contact rates. He's still getting better with the approach. Like he's a guy that he's one of those classic. I can get to almost any pitch. So I'm going to swing at a lot of pitches. And as he continues to rein that in a bit more, I think you're going to see him, you know, be an even better hitter, but this guy's got frame defying exit velocities too. And it, like, I don't think people realize how hard Basabe hits the ball. It's just he hits it on the ground a bit too much right now. And then that's another thing that he's kind of working on. But his 90th percentile exit velocity is 103.5 miles per hour, you know, right before going up into the big leagues. I think over his last like 60 games, that was the the sample there. He hits all pitch types. He sneaks in 109 mile per hour, 110 mile per hour exit velocities, like all the time. So even if he's a guy that puts the ball on the ground more, he hits the ball hard consistently and he runs. He's like candidate number one for me to be, you know, a high babip guy, but I think there's more power to unlock in there in games. I think he's far from an unfinished product. He can play high level defense at so many different positions that he's going to be able to keep himself in the lineup. And then I love the way he plays the game. Um, this is a guy that I think can really finish his development at the big league level and, and kind of enter another echelon while he's there with the Rays. very analytically driven team that is going to, I'm sure help him kind of rectify some of those, red flags, quote-unquote, because, yes, the the ground ball rate's a little high. Yes, the chase rate's a little high. But I think it says a lot that he's been extremely productive while playing all over the diamond with some of those, quote-unquote, flags. He's as safe of a big leaguer, I think, as you're going to find. And I still think there's more upside here than some of the other classic, versatile, speedy, bat-to-ball guys.
1: All right, i got one more guy for you. Uh, Noel V. Marte, Um, Hmm. you're probably – I don't know, 40 spots lower on Marte than I am. Um, but I like I just want to kinda tell you sort of what I see in him yeah. from a fantasy standpoint, and then you can sort of tell me how much of the defense is is yeah accounting for Yeah, I was thinking, this might
2: be the number one sorry to get to – like number one discrepancy in fantasy to to like other like general prospect yeah. rankings there is. Um, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So like First of all, I love the fact that he's going to play half his games in Cincinnati. Um, I kind of see maybe at peak like two fifty average, thirty homers, ten steals. Mm -hmm. Like, is that off base? No, I don't think so at all. I think it's very, very attainable. Um, So then, I guess is the defense bad enough? (laughs) Because I I get I get asked questions about just how the Red, how are the Reds going to fit all these awesome players? Like, it's. Usually those questions are um, just a little too short-sighted. I mean, Joey Vado's not going to be on the team next year. Uh, John India might not be. Yeah, yep. They could trade India in the offseason. So to me, it would make sense to just slot Marte in at third, uh, slide Ellie and McLean to the right uh, one spot, and the pieces fit. But is the defense so bad with Marte that that may not happen? It's pretty rough. Um this is the this
2: is the challenging side of it, is it's not great. You know, every once in a while he'll make a play and you're like, oh, well, there's a guy, but then there's so many routine plays and and choppers where he like sits back on it and eats him up, or yeah, and I'm just like, Man, like this guy's a frustrating defender. And then you consider the fact that McClain is a high-level, you know, shortstop, a very solid defender there. Ellie plays a, a solid shortstop, but if you move him to third, he's elite there. Um, it, it becomes like an interesting situation, and, and I'm not sure how that's all going to unfold. The defense was a big knock for me on him. Actually, he's probably one of the most guy, recent guys I got a live look at. The most frustrating aspect of Noel v. Marte for me, and, and this is – he's in the same boat as Marco Luciano, where I feel like no matter where I rank them, I will be wrong. because uh, i I could justify putting them high i really could on the talent like you could tell me that he's one of your favorite bats in the minors i'd say sure um you could tell me that you can't stand him i'd say sure like there's very few guys where it's that wide of a range because i've seen Noel V. Marte sit back on a baseball and drive it the other way 110 and i'm like that is a big league all-star swing and then i see this guy in a 2-0 count take a swing at it a slider, two balls off the plate. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? So there's just times where it's just so frustrating, but I do think it's important to note he's 21 years old and like, he's got time, but I'm just like, he's one of the worst swing decision guys I've seen, which is crazy because you look at the strikeout rate. It's not that high. You'll get the walk rate. It's pretty solid. It's just, that's a testament to his natural ability. So he's so hard for me to grade because if you look at him natural talent wise, I think he's a top 20 prospect in the game. But if you look at how much he handcuffs himself from his own talent, it's one of the most frustrating watches in the minor leagues. So, it's it's really whether you you believe that, you know, he can work through this and and become the the hitter he's capable of being. Again, I that's a guy I will not say I he has to be ranked here <laughs> and I stick by it. Like I, you might be right. He gives me headaches, so I had to just settle somewhere in the middle. Um, but yeah, man, he—he's somebody that I would absolutely like if I have the depth in fantasy. Like I'm holding him because he can make a he, he could be you know franchise altering for my fan for my dynasty team. Uh, but if somebody else loves him, like I'm not gonna let him stop me from getting a, you know an impact big leaguer either. So
1: he's just he's just a headache. That's the best way I can describe it. Man, is there anywhere else you could? Play like I wouldn't rule out
2: first, yeah. I wouldn't, um, you know, I know they have Christian Encarnacion on strand, but he, DHC, probably yeah. DH, yeah, yeah, see, so I, I think there's a world where I think Marte's gonna see run at third, you know, like I, I think they can mix and match a lot, but I do think that first base could end up being a position where, where we see him get, you know, some more reps. I still think there's a world where Marte develops into an average defender, I really do. Like the defensive side of things is a different beast swing decisions. Like I, I can only try to project what, what you can do there so much Marte people underestimate how gigantic that dude is. He is a monster. And the way that he handles the bat for how big he is, is really impressive. And that's why I think he can be a really good bat, but I still think he's kind of working on the footwork. Cause he's a guy that kind of got big quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I went from shortstop to third and it's just got these heavy feet, but he's still a pretty good athlete. Like, I think there's a world where he can get better defensively and be passable. Um, so I don't think the glove is going to fully keep him from being able to play. Um, you know, and it's really about the bat and it's frustrating, but if it comes together, you know, people will look at the list in a couple of years and be like, you are an idiot for having him at 60 or whatever. And I've accepted that at this point because I just, I, again, he breaks my brain
1: arm. This is really great. Uh, you're really sharp. I can tell you put the work in, um, I really you. appreciate you joining me. Why don't you tell people where they can follow along uh, with your work, where they can check out the top 100 and where they can hear you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I, we have the just baseball show, which is our flagship podcast at just
2: baseball.com. We got Walker Bueller on every Monday and that's a lot of fun, but for the prospect folks, I have the pro- our prospect podcast, the call up, which I host with Jack McMullen, a A broadcaster for the uh, Pittsburgh pirates and the Indianapolis Indians as a team. And, uh, we bring on players all the time. We're currently breaking down the entire top 100 from, uh, you know, in bands of 20 and, you know, player interviews, things going on, what we're doing with our live looks, everything you need to know about the prospect world. We're doing that. Um, so you can go check out that, that prospect podcast, the call up.
1: Absolutely. Uh, definitely support, uh, arm and, and just baseball. And, uh, once again, really appreciate you joining me, man. This was great.
2: Thanks for having me on man. Uh, anytime.
1: Awesome. Uh, So for the listeners, I got my Dynasty rankings coming out uh, hopefully tomorrow, Thursday, Uh, so be on the lookout for those.